I'll be reading from the King James Version. It'd be Psalms 127, verses 1 through 5. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so he give us his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and of the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is a man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. You may be seated. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence this morning. So happy to have everyone with us. For the visitors that are with us today, thank you for coming our way. So pleased that you are here. We encourage you to come back whenever you possibly can. We always love to have our guests, love to have our visitors. Thank you for the beautiful singing today, Jonathan, for the uh, fine songs and the fine direction and for the prayers, uh, for the scripture reading. These men who waited on the table in such a fine, respectful way, we're always very grateful for them, and I commend you, and you've added a lot to our worship today. And We want to turn our hearts and our minds to the matter of God's Word. Today, the uh, calendar calls Mother's Day, and what a wonderful day it is, and we honor our mothers today. We're very thankful for them. I don't know where we'd be without our mothers. Um... Your mother here today, we are so honored to have you, to be with us, and we are grateful for you and your many, many sacrifices for your family, for your loved ones. I talked to my mother yesterday, I call her every Friday, every Saturday, and she asked me on the phone, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to preach on the home. She said, well, now, don't get us some old dusty sermon you've preached before and preach that. <laughs> she said, people don't want to hear that. I said, oh, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, I wouldn't want to do that. She said, uh, though I've been preaching some 40 years now, she begins to tell me what to say and how to say it. And I have to admit that her advice was very good advice. And so I want you to know today that this is not some old dusty sermon that I've preached before and that uh, I'm just pulling out in front of you today. My mother's 85. She works every day. She's a head teller at the bank in Ketchikan, Alaska. And I'm happy that I can talk to my mother and tell her that I love her, and I talk to her every Saturday. And I enjoy talking to her, my mother. Sometimes my mother gets on my nerves, but at any rate... Um, I do enjoy talking to my mother, and I'm happy that I have that privilege. Have you told your mother you love her? Why don't you do that today? If your mother's not here, call her. If you can still do it, because there's coming a day and a time you can't call your mother and talk to her. 
And you need to be able to do it while you can. Call your mother and tell her how much you love her. How much she means to you. All the sacrifice that she's done for you. She'll love it. She'll love it. As I've told my mother. I wish I could tell my dad. He's gone on to life's other side. He was a fine Christian man from as long as I can remember. Elder in the Lord's church. and I wish I could talk to him. But I don't have him with me. But I'll go be with him one day. And we'll be together in heaven. Along with my mother and my grandmother. Who taught me how to read by reading to me the Bible a long time ago. You know, the old saying is, a house doesn't make a home. Just because it's a house doesn't make it a home. There's some unique qualities with regard to a home. Even though you have brick and mortar and wood, electrical systems, ventilation systems, driveway, garage, and all the things that make up a house, doesn't mean you've got a home because a home is unique. There are certain features to a home. And that's the way it is with a Christian home. Just because you have a home doesn't mean you have a Christian home. The best homes are Christian. And if I can learn what makes for a Christian home, then I can have the very best home that there is because it's a Christian home. Just because you have a home today doesn't make it a Christian home. What are some of the features that make a home a Christian home? Well, to study this particular matter, you ought to go back and study the first home. Genesis chapter 1, the Bible talks about God ordaining the matter of marriage and the very first home. Some of the features which made the first home great make for a Christian home today. Genesis chapter 1. 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything God did was great. Everything God did was good. And you see that terminology over and over again in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. God gave us the pattern for the home, too, you see. When God created the physical world and everything that he created was good, he also created the Home for the family. There in turn, he created it in a certain way to make it what it ought to be. This matter of a home did not evolve over matters of time, but the matter of the home came about as a result of God's divine guidance and God's divine creation. God seeks to the ground, breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, man became a living soul. God created all the animals, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea. But man looked around and he saw that there was no one equal to him. And so God caused a great sleep to come upon Adam. And there he took from Adam a rib. And he formed and he fashioned woman. Now Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Eve because she was taken from the man taken from his rib. And so Adam and Eve would go throughout life together as husband and wife. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. There, knowing the difference between good and evil, sin entered its way into the world. 
thus destroying the wonderful garden which God had prepared for them. It tells us in chapter 2 and verse 23 of the passage, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The institution of marriage, you see. God created one flesh. They were bound together. So shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave. The idea of cleaving there is like uh, being glued together. We are together as husbands and wives. We are one flesh. What used to be two now have come together as one unit, one family. And God saw the need for the man to leave his father and his mother and to create his own family unit. And the two, the husband and the wife, they come together in one heart and in one body. Now this is the very point that Jesus was making about the matter of marriage found for us in the New Testament, chapter 19 of the book of Matthew. There in that particular passage, he makes reference to the original statement of God and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'm reading out of Matthew 19 and verse 5. You see, the Pharisees came asking him a question, but they came testing him in Matthew 19 and 3. The Pharisees came up to him asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, they couldn't ask a question without having some kind of ulterior motive. They couldn't just come up to the Lord and say, Help us understand this. No, they had to have some kind of ulterior motive to try to trap him and to try to entangle him and try to show him up and to try to embarrass him in front of the crowd. And so they said, now is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And here Jesus in this instance takes them back to the very beginning. You know, they probably as Pharisees thought, now let's see which side he'll take. Will he side with Rabbi Shammai who says, no, you can't divorce your wife unless for a moral issue. Or maybe he will go further out and side with Rabbi Hillel, which will say, you can divorce your wife for any reason you want to. So let's ask him and see which way he goes. And which way did Jesus go? Jesus went all the way back to the beginning. And he said, now this is God's way of doing it. He's not siding with Rabbi Hillel. He's not siding with Rabbi Shammai. He's not siding with the generic teaching of men of the day. But he goes back to the beginning. So shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. There's something implicit in that particular matter whereby Jesus is telling us, don't go by the power of the day, but go by what God has said in the matter. Go back and see what God said. In fact, he makes that particular uh, statement of them. Don't you know what the Scripture says? You're supposed to be teachers of the law, you Pharisees, and you would ask a question like that? You ought to know what the Word of God says. So many people do not know what the Word of God says. You see, for me to have a Christian home, and the kind of home that I really ought to have, as God wants me to have it, whether I be the husband of the home or the mother and the wife of the home, 
I've got to go back and see what God has said with regard to the home and see the pattern that God has given regarding the home. And when I do that, I see Jesus carrying me all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. So shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleaving to his wife. He told them in Genesis chapter 1 and 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Have children, bear children. Count those children as a blessing from God. And so we read this morning from Psalm 127 and verse 3. A lot of scholars will look at Psalm 127 and they'll say, well, that's Solomon talking about the temple. And maybe so as far as its background is concerned. But notice what God says as it relates to the home. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You can work and work and accumulate and accumulate, but unless God's behind it, unless God's the source of it, unless God's the motivation for it, you labor in vain. I can learn a lot when I study the first home and God's intention with regard to our homes, whether mother or father. You know, if God doesn't build a house, you labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early. Who rise up early? Farmers rise up early, and they work in their toil because of the early rising. And go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. You know what heritage means? Children are a gift from God. Now, if you're like me, I can remember those little ones when they came along, and I thought, man, this is a wonderful gift. Look what God has done. And then they got a little older, and I thought, I wish this kid was on the other side of the moon. But at any rate, it's sometimes hard to see, but children are a gift from God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Bearing and raising children is his point, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, he shall not put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The blessing that God has given with regard to our children. If I want to be the kind of mother I ought to be, the kind of father I ought to be, husband and wife I ought to be, I need to go back and study about being a husband and a father, a mother, uh, a wife, from the pages of the Bible, how that God brought that into being. And follow the pattern which God has given and not the fancy theories of the day, which simply will lead to destruction. Not only is the home that kind of matter, but what makes for a Christian home? Christian people make for a Christian home. Things which make a person a Christian are things which make for a Christian home. They make Christian mothers and they make Christian fathers. One of the things that makes a Christian mother and a Christian father is their love for the Word of God. Hear me now, there's not a greater book in all the world than the Bible, the Word of God. It will arrest our greatest amount of attention and time and study. 
The great truths of God and the great mind of God had been revealed to us in God's Word, translated in a language that we can understand. It behooves every one of us to spend our time studying the Word of God because in the Word of God, it'll tell me how to be a Christian, a Christian man, a Christian woman, a Christian mother, a Christian father, a Christian child. I cannot go out here into the way of the world and try to find that kind of instruction. It's not out there. The instruction is right here in the Word of God. And what will make for a Christian home? Mothers and fathers who love the Word of God. I mean the Word of God. To study it. To meditate upon it. Consider it carefully. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter emphasizes this very point for us. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, we have what we need right here to lead us and to guide us. You want to have a Christian home? Then you be a Christian. You want to be a Christian mother? Become a Christian. You want to be the kind of father you ought to be? Be a Christian father. The Bible has laid upon us the responsibility as mothers and fathers, to train our children and to direct our homes with uh, God in mind. There are a number of Old Testament passages that teach the point. Study with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is one of the great Old Testament passages. The Hebrews called it the Shema passage. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when they sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on their forehead, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This beautiful passage I read for you, Deuteronomy 6, the verse of verse 4 through verse 9, talks about God instructing the parents and the homes. Teach your children. Focus your life on the Word of God. Pass it down to them. Let it be the center focus of your life. And he describes the matter. He said, let it be before your eyes. Let it be on your doorposts. Hebrews, the Hebrews took this very literally, and so by the time of Jesus in the New Testament, using a Greek word, the phylacteries, these rabbis and these teachers of the law would have little leather boxes with leather thongs tied to them with some scripture put in the leather box, and then they tied around their forehead, put that leather box on their head for their morning prayer, and they put those things on their arms and tie them to their arms, a little leather box with a passage of Scripture in the box. And then they would have what is called the mezuzah. And even Orthodox Jews today, if you all go up and knock on their door, there'll be a little decorative type of um, box nailed to the doorpost. And inside that little box will be this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Or they might have all the way through verse 9. Even today, they took it literally. They should do this in order to be pleasing in the sight of God. What God is encouraging us to do is put this in your heart. 
It's not that you can just put it on your forehead so other people can see it or put it on the doorposts so that people will see it when they come to your door and knock on the door. But what you need to do is put God's Word in your heart, put it in your mind so that you can live it and so that you can apply it. And when a situation comes up in your life, you'll remember, yes, the Word of God tells me to do this or the Word of God tells me do not do that. Listen, Israel. Listen, people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and teach your children to do the same way. A Christian home is a home that's made up of Christian people. Christian people who love the Word of God and they love to study the Word of God. A Christian home is made up of Christian people who put God first and foremost in their life. Now listen, it's going to be a tough one. God is first and foremost in your life or your home. Jesus talked about this matter of having proper priority. In Matthew chapter 6, part of that great Sermon on the Mount, he talks about all the needs of this life, the physical necessities of life. And he says, now don't worry about these particular matters. Don't be anxious over what you'll eat and what you'll wear and where you'll live. We need to be concerned about that. As mothers and fathers, we need to be concerned about what our children eat and the education of our children and the well care and keeping of our children. God gives us that obligation and that responsibility, but he also gave us in this particular passage, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his and all these things will be added to you. He's telling them, telling us, the priority of our life Though we are concerned about these particular matters, the priority of our life is putting God first in our life. And specifically in this verse, he talks about the kingdom. And when I look about the kingdom in Matthew chapter 16, I see he's talking about the church. Put the church first in your life. Put spiritual matters as the top priority of your life. There are a lot of things out there that vie for our time and our attention. But Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 and verse 20. And what is that man by inspiration saying other than, I live for Christ. He is the first and the foremost of my life. Do you put Christ and the kingdom above other pursuits of life? Is it first and foremost? I told you it would be a difficult matter. What about the matter of the budget? Well, if i got any money left over, I'll give it to the Lord. Well, is that seeking the kingdom of God first? No, it is not. Is that illustrative of an individual who lives for Christ because Christ is crucified for him and has been crucified for him? No, it is not. It is not. Well, my time. Let's think about that for a second. I'm a very busy person, and I just don't have time for all these particular matters, spiritually speaking. Is that the kind of person that's putting the kingdom of God first and foremost in his life? Matthew 6 and 33? No, it is not. I'm busy. I'm busy out here working. Yeah. We're all there. We're all there. 
I'm busy trying to take care of a family, trying to raise a family here. Put first things first. If you want a Christian home, you've got to be a Christian. And being a Christian means that I have my priorities set in a proper place. The kind of priority that I need to have is the priority which says Christ is first and foremost in my life. And every decision that I make is based on, predicated upon what Jesus would have me to do. That kind of home is a Christian home. What makes for a Christian home? It makes for people who love to pray to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the verse is verse 17. It's a beautiful passage about prayer. It's a very simple one. You ought to mark it in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing. Now, I don't think that passage is trying to say that we've got to pray constantly, 24-7, and always be uh, head bowed in prayer to God. But it is saying, always be of a prayerful mind and of a prayerful disposition, and pray without ceasing. Always find the time to pray. And the point that we're making for the present is simply this. If I want to improve my home to be a better mother, to be a better father, a better wife, a better husband, a better child, I need to find the time to pray to God and to let these requests be known to God. I'll tell you what. You ought to pray as a family. Bow your head before God and pray as a family and ask God, help us to grow as Christians. Help us to grow, Lord, to be the kind of people that Jesus was when he walked on this earth. Help us to be more like Jesus. You ought to pray, Lord, thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. Thank you. There should not be a time in our lives when we pray to God where we do not include this element of thankfulness. Look how we've been blessed. How can we turn our back on God? How can we harden our hearts against God when God continues to bless and to bless? Matthew chapter 5, he talks about it rains on the just and on the unjust. We've all been the recipients of God's providential blessings. But then there are elements in Colossians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 1 where we as Christian people are the recipients of God's spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 and chapter 1 verse 7, that these spiritual blessings are to be found in Christ. I not only have providential blessings, which everyone receives, but then there are those special spiritual blessings which God has in store for me because I'm a child of God. If you want to have a better home, be a better Christian. If you want to have a better home, be a better mother, be a better father, be a Christian mother, be a Christian father. And put on that Christ-likeness that God has told us to live by. Some of the things which make for a strong congregation make for a strong home. As New Testament Christians, we've come to learn that there is a strong dynamic between the church and its influence on the home and the home and its influence on the church. Strong congregation will help build strong homes. Strong homes and strong families help to build a strong congregation. There's a wonderful, dynamic type of relationship that exists between them. Reading in the pages of the Bible, in the worship, and in Bible classes of God's plan for worship. 
how that God has told us how to worship. He's patterned the worship for us in the New Testament Scripture. We're following that pattern of singing a cappella without mechanical instruments of music, praying sincerely from our heart, taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week as they did, Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2, giving of our means, the proclamation and the teaching, the preaching of the Word of God. God has laid out a pattern for our worship. And we as families making up a congregation go home and we recognize and we respect the plan that God has given for the worship of the church. And the home lends its support to the worship of the congregation. And the home is benefited by the congregation worshiping together in love for each other and for God. There's a wonderful relationship between the home and the church. And a strong church is made up of strong homes. Church. The ecclesia of God is a great word where the people come together, they assemble together to worship and praise God. It's a wonderful time to be together. It's an important time to be together. Elders qualifying themselves according to the divine standard, overseeing the worship, overseeing the work of the church as shepherds of the flock of God, deacons, seeing to the physical matters of the congregation, families coming together and seeing that, uh, pulpit preaching and teaching God's Word. You see, a congregation is blessed when it has strong elders, and, and they're seeing after the needs of the families, and they're seeing after the teaching of the families of the congregation, and strong deacons, deacons that are seeing after the physical needs and the responsibilities of the building and, and the grounds, and a strong pulpit where the pulpit is preaching and teaching the Word of God and, and is leaving the opinion out of it and is trying to say, this is God's Word is going to make for a strong church. Strong elders, strong deacons, strong pulpits make for strong churches. Strong families build strong churches. Strong churches help to make strong families. If you want to be a better mother, you want to be a better father, then identify with a strong congregation that will help your family. Be a part of it. Contribute to it. Take part of that. I started reading here in Matthew chapter 19 how that Jesus is talking about marriage. And I'd like to read a little more of that. I'm talking to young people here today. You're not a mother yet. You're not married you're not a father yet. You hadn't uh, chosen a wife. You hadn't started a family. I want you to listen up. Listen up. Matthew chapter 19. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him, saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read? You Pharisees ought to know the answer to that. That he who created them from the beginning made the male and female. And, that, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now how can you do that? How could you separate? See, the two have come together, and I think I use the word something like glue. They've kind of attached themselves together, and they are like one flesh. You can't separate that one flesh. Only God can do that. You can't separate that one flesh no more than you could separate your own flesh and survive. Only God makes that separation so that they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate, and no man can separate. Only God can separate. Now the Pharisees took this to mean, well, wait a minute now, Moses said it's all right to have a divorce, so we'll lean upon what Moses said. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Just about for anything, any cause, you see. They were trying to find credibility in divorce by divorcing one spouse just for any and every reason, and they thought they got scriptural grounds for it. But he said in verse 8, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, who's wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery verse 9 to divorce one without scriptural grounds the immorality of the other and they themselves an innocent party which is Matthew 5 and 32 and 33 commits adultery he gives us an except clause marriage is for life but there is an exception here the infidelity of one party And if they're unfaithful and you're innocent, you may marry again. Paul referenced the matter in Romans chapter 7 and verse 39. There he said, a wife is bound to the law of her husband as long as he lives. And all of these questions about marriage and that kind of thing that come up and seem to be so tangled up and twisted that it seems to be almost impossible to work your way through them can be answered with the simple realization Marriage is for life, except one reason. The unfaithfulness of one party. Now, I started this discussion, my very brief analysis of Matthew chapter 19, telling you what the Lord said for the benefit of our young children. I want you to understand something, that marriage is for life, and there is an exception. That when you choose that individual, you go into that marriage realizing this is a lifelong commitment. Now, the state of Texas looks upon marriage more like a contract which can be revoked or avoided under certain rules and regulations and just about anybody can revoke the contract. You can get out of the contract. But to God, what God had joined, no man separate. That means only God and the authority of God can cause one to make separation of what God has joined together. It was a Strong statement coming from the Lord in Matthew chapter 19, but he carries it all the way back from the very beginning. So shall a man leave it to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There in turn, he tells us how permanent marriage is. 
lust for life. One exception. Unfaithfulness of the married partner and you are innocent. Matthew 5, 32 and 33. You cannot cause the unfaithfulness of another and at the same time be innocent. But some are innocent and would have the right if they choose to marry another. I want you to understand that. I want you as young people to understand how serious this matter of getting married is. And this modern phenomenon of sort of living together, immorality, fornication, is condemned by God and in turn will be judged by God one great day. Homes make strong churches and strong churches can make great homes. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And that's the way it is with our marriages. If we have a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, joining together with Christ as the third cord, bound together, is going to make for a strong home. Dedicate yourself to being a better mother. Somebody says, well, I've made mistakes in the past. Well, hadn't we all? Repent of them and be a better mother. Somebody says, well, I've made mistakes as a father. Well, hadn't we all? Repent of those mistakes. It may even mean going to your children, setting them down, and saying, this is what we did. Your mother and I did not do it right. We've learned better. And this is the way it's going to go. Because this is what God's Word has taught. And we're going to base our homes on God's Word. It may be that a father and a mother have to get together and set the children down and say, Look, we know we've let this go on, and we've let that go on, and we shouldn't have done it. We've made a mistake, but we're correcting that right now. And this is the way it's going to go. Because God has told us this is the way it should go. And that's why we're going to do it. We want to explain it to you. And we all are going to have to change and do what is right. If you need to do that, do it with your your family. And sit down with your family and set your family's course right. Because one day, you want to be with your mother and your father in that place the Bible calls heaven. And you want to go there and enjoy the fellowship of God's people and the great throne whereby the redeemed of all ages will praise God forever and ever. I'm happy for days like Mother's Day and Father's Day that help us reflect on the serious matter of doing what I really am placed here to do, be a better husband, be a better father, be a better child, to respect and honor my mother and my father. If I'm speaking to you today who have not obeyed the gospel, you've never repented of sin and confessed your faith in Christ and been baptized into Christ, you ought to do it today, just as the Bible teaches. 
you've been unfaithful to that, then why don't you repent of that and become a faithful child of God again? Isn't it wonderful that God's grace allows us to start all over again where we can repent of our sins and become the people God wants us to be? And you can do that today. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.